Hello, and welcome to Sundry Reverie, the podcast, where we explore the union of God and science, among many other topics, all from the perspective of an aspiring doctor. In this episode, we're going to talk about general revelation. Now, to some of you listeners, you guys have probably never heard of general revelation. You're wondering what it is. That's really good because we're going to talk about it today. However, I'm aware that some of you listeners probably have heard of general revelation. And I do hope that this episode will be insightful and edifying for you and maybe even get you thinking about some things. General revelation is actually one of my favorite things to talk about. So let's get started. Um, every single person on this planet has some knowledge of God. That's a huge claim, I know, but it's not mine. The Bible very clearly tells us this. As Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 21 reads, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. This revealing of God, or revelation of God, is called God's natural or general revelation. That revelation of God that is revealed to all mankind without exemption. This isn't, however, special revelation, which is that revelation that is revealed to only some of mankind, namely the God-breathed words of Scripture. Just as we can look at the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel and know that there must be an artist who created such a beautiful masterpiece, so it is with nature. We look at nature itself and all its grandeur, and it's abundantly clear that there must be some divine artist behind establishing all these wondrous things. This episode explores many aspects of this very topic, namely God showing himself to us in his creation. It's one of my favorite things to contemplate, as I already said. Before the world was created, As Psalm 90 proclaims, God was from everlasting to everlasting. God is eternal. He is without beginning. And as Psalm 19 verses 1 through 2 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Psalm 50 goes so far as to say that the heavens declare more of God's glory, His righteousness. And as the seraphim declare in God's throne room, in the prophet Isaiah's vision as Accounted in Isaiah chapter 6, the whole earth is full of God's glory. God's glory is made manifest everywhere in creation, and all mankind is to some extent aware of it. So, God reveals His eternal power and divine nature in this world. These are some of His attributes, as Romans 1 verse 20 says. These two things constitute, as it were, God's glory, as the psalmist repeatedly declares throughout the Psalms that the heavens declare the glory of God. Paul says, however, in Romans that mankind suppresses a truth. But what truth is this? Well, Paul immediately answers his didactic question. This truth is the knowledge of God that is revealed in nature, and it is plain to all mankind, as verse 19 says, because it has been shown to all mankind. Now I'll read verse 20 for you. For God's invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So we are without excuse. As John Stott, a theologian, says, In other words, 
The God who is in himself invisible and unknowable has made himself visible and knowable through what he has made. The creation is a visible disclosure of the invisible God and intelligible disclosure of the otherwise unknown God. Just as artists reveal themselves in what they draw, paint, and sculpt, so the divine artist has revealed himself in his creation. End quote. Now, at this point, you may be wondering something. I know initially I was. Scripture uses to know, that's K-N-O-W, know, in many, many ways. And usually the one we are mainly concerned with is the intimate saving to know, the knowing of the gospel of God, which has the power to save, as Romans 1 verse 16 says. Paul, who penned by inspiration of God the Holy Spirit in Romans 1 16, says elsewhere in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 8 that unregenerate, unsaved people do not know God. Now, how in the world do we reconcile these verses? Well, Romans 1 18 through 20, our main section of scripture we've been kind of looking at in this episode is simply speaking of the cognitive, intellectual awareness of God that man possesses by being exposed to nature. That's what to know means here. Nowhere does scripture claim that man can be saved and regenerated by nature. Salvation is only through one way, through one mediator. That's Jesus Christ, our Lord, as John chapter 14 says. General revelation and universal knowledge of God is talking about something different, God's glory and how every single man has some knowledge of God because it can be clearly seen in all aspects of the created order. Now, it should be noted that God's revelation and his creation does not give a full comprehensive revelation of God himself. However, though, as Acts chapter 14 verse 17 says, God is never without a witness to himself. The visible world is like a mirror that reflects the glory of its maker, says one scholar. This world is God's possession. For the Lord is a great God, a great king, and his hands are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains are his also, the sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. That's Psalm 95, verses 3 through 5. In Acts 17, says, God gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. A brief account of a sermon in the books of Acts kind of helps explain God's witness to himself in creation. So we'll go over that real quick. Paul and Barnabas healed a crippled man in Lystra, and the crowds who witnessed this miracle claimed that Two gods, Zeus and Hermes, had come down to them in the likeness of men, as chapter 14 explains. Now, Paul rebukes the pagan crown after this, telling them that they should turn away from their futility to the true living God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that's in them. And 14, 16, and 17 reads, Yet God did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with good food and gladness. One of the many ways God gives witness to himself in nature is through giving people rain and fruitful seasons and with satisfying our stomachs with food and giving us enjoyment in eating. This is one of the myriad examples of God manifesting himself in his created order. Here's one of my favorite quotes that's extremely relevant to General Revelation by R.C. Sproul. I've used it before on the website, and I just can't use it enough, it seems like, because it's just so good. 
The sublime presence of God is all around us, yet we are often blind and deaf to it. We don't understand its language. It takes more than stopping to smell the flowers. The flower contains more than a sweet aroma or fragrance. It exudes the glory of its creator. We are all in touch with divine revelation when we are aware of God's glory in nature. End quote. There's a problem with this, though. Some people willfully reject some truth about God's existence and character. Romans chapter 1, verse 25 ex- explicitly says this. Psalm 97, attesting to God's existence and everyone seeing it, says, The heavens proclaim His righteousness, and all the peoples see His glory. Yet, Paul writes in Romans 1 that our ungodliness, our unrighteousness, suppresses this truth that I've been explaining. They, unbelievers, have exchanged the truth about God for a lie. These people, as Paul says, exchange the glory of God for other things and worship the creatures or created things rather than the Creator, God. Scripture elsewhere recognizes that some people do in fact deny the inner sense of God and His existence. Psalm 14.1 and 53.1 both say, The fool says in his heart that there is no God. I think this says a lot about certain aspects about the arena of science and often where folly can be found in it. Often we get too caught up in worshiping the knowledge of this universe from scientific inquiry and empirical corroboration and data rather than taking our hands off our microscopes and giving doxology to God, praising Him for His wondrous works. Wayne Grudem says, quote, To look upward into the sky by day or by night is to see sun, moon, and stars, sky and clouds all continually declaring by their existence and beauty and greatness that powerful and wise Creator has made them and sustains them in their order. Therefore, Grudem continues, when we believe that God exists, we are basing our belief not on some blind hope apart from any evidence, but on an overwhelming amount of reliable evidence from God's words and God's works. End quote. This is an awesome thing about God revealing Himself to us in nature. We have evidence of God, not blind hope. I think this is a great thing for us as Christians to recognize. John Calvin says something similar in his Institutes of the Christian Religion. Quote, Because God desires that the chief end of the blessed life should be to know His name, He reveals Himself clearly to everyone so that He should not seem to want to deny some men entry into happiness. End quote. This is one reason I love science in general and the human body and medicine in particular. It seems that so many of the intricacies I learn about, all these cellular processes and mechanisms, everything is dripping with God's glory. I love it. I delight in it. John Calvin, the 16th century reformer who I just mentioned, has another really great quote, and I think it warrants attention for its perennial and constant application. Here it is. Now, if the Lord chose to allow sinful, unbelieving men to teach us natural philosophy, dialectic, and other disciplines, we ought to make use of them lest we be punished for our neglect in despising God's gifts wherever they are offered to us. End quote. I hope that resonates with you because it sure does with me. It's very convicting. And so much of the book of Proverbs is focused on gaining wisdom. But... It also focuses on gaining knowledge of God. I think general revelation and the marvelous details we have learned and can learn about it in science is a good thing for us to pursue, but it reveals more of God to us. And in doing so, we gain more knowledge of this magnificent world that God has created and also more knowledge of our magnificent Creator. 
I hope you enjoyed this episode on general revelation. And if you're interested in more topics relevant to what we discussed today, you can check out my website, sundryreverie.com. And feel free to leave a comment or review through whatever avenue you're using to listen to this podcast. And I hope you join me again in the next episode of Sundry Reverie.